0: Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. So we're considering our series, "The Living One." We're in part five. How I see myself is what we're talking about today, and. Um, we're going to be looking at the Church of Sardis now what we 're doing in this series is we 're going through revelation and we 're really just looking starting out by looking jesus 's address to the churches, the seven churches and it 's been a wild ride we 're on the fifth church now, and we 've seen how jesus is a specific way that he reveals himself to each church he has a specific message to each church and what we're, what we're doing is we're going to read the whole address to the church, and then we're going to break down the scriptures and look at what he's saying and unpack it. Okie dokie? When's the last time y'all heard that, right? <laughs> I say it all the time. All right, so Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Um, starting off, it said, Jesus says, To the angel of the church of Sardis write, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, That you have the name that you are alive, and yet you are dead. Be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember that you have received what you have received and heard, and keep it and repent. Then if you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who overcomes will be clothed in the same way in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his pe- uh, before his angels. And the one who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So let's let's start at the very beginning in the way that Jesus reveals himself. Our first point is where I belong. Where I belong. One of the most difficult questions people face in their life is where do I belong? From our childhood and especially into our adulthood, the question beckons where do I belong? Jesus starts off by saying to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, he who has the seven spirits Of God and the seven stars says this. Now there's two very specific things I want us to pull out of this verse. At first glance, it looks very similar to the first church that we looked at, where where Jesus says, the one who holds the seven stars and the seven lampstands. And you could look at it and think that he's saying the same thing, but there's a very big difference. It says here in this verse, he who has, he who has, not the one, not he who holds. And at first glance, it seems like a very similar idea, but the difference between the one uh, the idea of he who holds and he who has is a sense of belonging. He holds it, and here it implies a perspective of ownership. He has it; it's his. And the reference of these stars, like we've learned earlier in this series, is that he's talking. Uh, it's a, a reference to the church leaders, of the leaders of these churches. And so these are Christians that are represented as stars. And he's saying the one who has these people, the one who, who these people belong to, it, it's implying ownership. And this simple, this simple glance that we're looking at is implying this huge idea that we belong to Jesus, that he wants us and that he has us. And this should eliminate the doubts that we carry of whether or not Jesus wants you or whether or not he covers you. He affirms that we belong to him. I feel like in every Christian's walk at some point, especially in mine, there's these moments where we go through and we start to doubt God's love for us. We start to even doubt God's desire for us or that he even wants us. I'm such a horrible Christian. I'm not good enough. What would, why does God even want anything to do with me? And we get so in our head and our insecurities that we doubt that we belong to Jesus. I don't know how many times I've heard Christians um, needing counseling or talking about how they, they doubt their salvation. They don't know if they're really saved, if they're really Jesus's. And here this simple implication that Jesus has is he has you, he has you, he has you in his hands, he has you in his under his wings, he has you, and I think that this is the biggest part of today's message that we need to just start with and catch when you look at people that uh, do not grow up in the nuclear family home with a with a mom and dad. People that grow up without either one parent or people that grow up without any parents. This identity question burdens their life of whose am I? They go their entire life just with this burden on their shoulders of feeling misplaced and wondering where they belong in the world because the I, the perspective of their parents being either there or absent. Even people that grow up with their parents have this, this burdening question of if their parents really care about them. I remember when I was, in, uh, when I was a teenager and I was just out <laughs> and doing whatever I wanted with no parental guidance. Times I was sleeping outside. Times where I would just do anything and everything. Whatever as a teenager I wanted to do, there's no parental figure to give me a barrier to stop. I just do whatever I wanted. And when when I when I was even around people that were just like very uh in the thick of it like uh less l- very uh impoverished situations and they would ask me, "Man, where are your parents? <laughs> don't they care that you're out like this?" And my response was, "They don't care." They don't care. They don't care where I'm at. And even though I would respond in a, in a way that seemed like I was liberated to do whatever I want, every time I responded that way, it was it was also intertwined with this burden of feeling misplaced and feeling like I didn't belong somewhere. That's why the idea of joining a gang was so enticing to me because it was a place I could belong. That's why even joining the military was enticing because it's like, that's where I could belong. Do you see how... This identity situation, this idea of belonging somewhere, follows a person their entire life. And even when it comes to church, did you know that it's like the, one of the biggest reasons that people will either leave a church or stay at a church is the feeling like they belong? There's people that go to, to, to churches where the, the, the pastor, the spiritual leaders in place have huge, incredible moral failures, and people all around them are like, why do you still go to that church? They're like crazy. They're messed up. And their response is, well, all my friends are there. It's a place I belong. And so the simple aspect where Jesus is saying that he has you, that he has this church, it, it can be expounded on to give so much solidity to our identity in Christ. Let me share this verse before we go on. In Psalms 27, verse 7 through 10, this is one of the, the early verses I've read in my, uh, me coming to Christ, and it changed my life forever because it gave me the direction I needed. And it says this, Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Some of y'all just need a rest in that that very last verse. Even if your mother and father abandon you, the Lord will hold you close. If you look at this, this, this psalm, you can see so much emotion in it. Do you see the writer's doubts where he's saying, be merciful and answer me. He's saying, God, I'm going to pray to you, but I don't even feel like you want to hear me. I don't even feel like you want to listen to me, that you want to look at me. And then he says, my heart, though, hears you say, come and talk with me. I have this pool on my soul that I need to find you, even though I doubt you. And this, where he's saying, do not reject me in your anger. And yet he says, but you've always been my helper. hes It's like he's going through this battle in his mind of knowing deep down that God has always been with him. Yet he has so many doubts of his within his insecurities that he's thinking God is going to just punish him for being such a bad Christian. And he says, don't leave me, don't abandon me. But even though I, I'm begging you not to leave me, I know that even if my mother and father abandon me, God is the only one that will hold me close. It's a powerful thing that God is saying to us right now. And with, with that being said, I want us to, to move on to the rest of this point. And it's, it's simply this. It's a part where he says, I have this, I, He has the seven spirits. You know I just want to take take a moment to sidestep and teach what this means when he says he has the seven spirits it's a reference of the coming messiah in isaiah chapter eleven isaiah written uh written hundreds of years before jesus was uh born in this world was a book that was filled with prophetic uh prophetic description of what the messiah would would carry what he would be like, what would happen, and in Isaiah chapter eleven, it gives this description of the these seven spirits of God. What it is is it's not seven different spirits; it's seven folds of one spirit, the Holy Spirit, and so it's seven aspects of the Holy Spirit, and that is the spirit of the Lord, which is the essence of God Himself. It's like His personality, His character, His presence, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding. The spirit of counsel, you know. I want to stop for a moment to understand these three things: its spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel. It seems like all of those are in the same genre, right? That wisdom, understanding, and counsel—all those things are are almost like the same. But it it what it shows is that God is so beyond the capacity of wisdom and understanding. That even as he's describing it to us, it seems overly simple. Wisdom and understanding. Have you ever thought that that was a spirit of God? That understanding was, was a heavenly thing. That wisdom was a spiritual thing. And here, God is unpacking himself and showing that not only is he so wise, but he is so understanding in the ways of the world, in the ways of our hearts, in the ways of our decisions, that even when it comes to Uh, our upbringing, God has understanding for you. Did you know that the Bible says that for those who have hard hearts, he is more patient because he understands the things that they've gone through? I mean, it's not God literally shows himself saying that he understands each individual, that it's not just a level playing field and that we're all just supposed to be these Christian clones, that he understands everyone's shortcomings, everyone's struggles and how they're different going on, it says the spirit of strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. You know, so many times we look at the idea of the fear of the Lord as something scary. The the essence of what that means is total reverence for your creator, a reverence for God. Reverence means that it's something special that, that you don't take as ordinary. And and all of, these, all of these aspects of the Holy Spirit are, are of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And so when, when it comes to um, being lost at different points in life, we can go to Jesus who has us and ask him to impart to us direction through his wisdom and understanding to, to give us knowledge of what we need to know. I mean, have you ever been just in a point in life where like, I don't know what to do? And here the the Holy Spirit is saying, I know, I will help you. You you ever feel so weak, you need strength? He says, I will give you strength. In our weakness, He is strong. And so, ending on this idea of where we belong, I want us to really grasp and hold dear that that we do not have to continuously doubt God's love for us. We don't have to continuously doubt Jesus' affirmation of Us belonging to him. Y'all feel that? Mm -hmm. And so let's go into the second part, which is face the mirror. It was so hard not to make any Michael Jackson references um, during this point. The whole time, I just kept hearing that song, Man in the Mirror, over and over, and I was like, oh my gosh, like please, like, I can't. (laughs) I can't do that. (laughs) But We often replace holiness and true spirituality with empty enthusiasm. Let me say that one more time because it hurts. We often replace holiness and true spirituality with empty enthusiasm. Let's read this verse. It says, I know your deeds that you have a name that you are alive and yet you are dead. Be constantly alert and strengthen the things that remain which are about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember that you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Then if you're not alert, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. So this verse, these verses, at first glance, it's like, okay, <laughs> like calm down. What happened to like, I belong to Jesus, I don't need to doubt him. <laughs> What what he's why is he addressing this church this way? Because he's saying there's more to grow in that you're not experiencing the fullness of God in your church or in your life. You know all these addresses like it. Part of it is because he wants us to to be the spotless bride when he returns, and he's preparing us for just like that like the trueness and rawness of salvation. But the other part of it is that we are missing out on the fullness of god's power in our lives we often stay in this point where um, where it describes where you you have a name that you're alive you have a name that you are alive he knows what we really do and he knows how we do it what does it look what does that mean to have a name that you are really alive but you are dead what what I think of is moments of worship. Have you ever been at a church during worship and you're singing the songs and you're just completely spaced out and realize that you're going through the motions. You're not at all connecting with God. You're just you're actually thinking about what you're going to do right after church. Your your mind is already the end and you're ready for it to be over. And you're just going through the motions of something spiritual, but you're not really being spiritual. Does that make sense? Think about how many times have we been uh, been to a church where it's like super charismatic, so much energy. And at the end of the day, like when you actually engage with individuals, it's so dead. Or even worse, the people that even sing on stage and you talk to them off the of stage, you're like, you're not a very spiritual person. <laughs> I remember the, the, a moment where I was talking to somebody and I was about to invite them to church. I didn't even know that they were Christian at all. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, we have a, uh, we have a church that we go to and uh, that we planted and this and that. And I was so surprised when they said, oh, yeah, um, I go to this church. I'm the worship, uh, I sing and lead worship. I was like, what? <laughs> I was so taken back because of the way that they simply talked. It, that was just just the the vulgarity of the way that they would talk. That I was taken back uh, by what they just talked about doing. <laughs> they're just talking about like doing drugs and all this stuff. And they're like, "Oh yeah, I, I lead worship." <laughs> I was like, "That's so sweet. <laughs> That's so cute." You know, but it's that kind of life that where Jesus is saying, "You seem like you're alive on on in in front of other people. You wear your Sunday suit and you." You seem like you got it all together, that you're the best Christian, but really you're dead. As soon as you get into the parking lot, you, you carry back all of the weight that you, that you covered with that mask. It's just ironic that we're all wearing masks, but the, the mask of, of churchianity, where we have it all together, where we don't have any transparency, and we act like we're just perfect, but then we get back into the car and all of that baggage that we were carrying before we just pick it right back up. We go home and we just we continue in the the darkness of our lives that that is draining us dry. And in this part you notice that he says he's it's like he goes from an extreme like but you're dead. But then he says strengthen the things that remain which are about to die. And so he's He's giving so much imagery that altogether we're messed up, but it's more so specific things that are dying within our spirits. Things that, that were once alive, but are now, have now gone cold. He says, strengthen the things that remain. And, and then he says, remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent he's giving us he's giving us direction to really go back to the basics. What I've found in my life and other people's lives and counseling, etc., that oftentimes in Christianity in our walk, we we get the basics down and then we feel like we're done. Let's move on to bigger and better things. And the basics are like simple stuff like forgiveness. Um being, being nice. <laughs> like, I think it's so hilarious when there's, we have churches that go through these like expounding messages about how to love your neighbors. like, dude, just be nice. Like, like you could, most of church messages, like just be nice to people. And, and it's like so hard for us to, it's like when we were first a Christian, yeah, okay, like I'm a Christian now. But then... <laughs> It, we We walk away from that, and we feel justified in our faith to to like take off that that barrier of forgiveness, to take that that barrier of love and kindness off, because we know better now our Our search of knowledge has caused us to forget the simple practices of our faith. We would rather hear some deep secret about the Bible. That most likely isn't even true. It's just a, compl- a a simple thing that was made complicated. Like the idea that um, that Eve uh, didn't just eat an apple. She actually had sex with Satan. Have y'all heard some crazy stuff like that? Mm-hmm. There's some stupid stuff out there. Stupid <laughs> stuff. But people chase these myths and these like, oh, have you heard about the the books of the Bible that aren't in the Bible? If it was a book of the Bible, it would be in the Bible. That's... That's like a self-defeating statement. It why it's like, yeah, but if you read it, you find that like how how different God really is. Like and you see all these like things that, that aren't biblical, it's like, hmm, maybe that's why it wasn't included in the Bible, because it was inaccurate. Like, anyone can write something. Don't you get that? Like not not just anything you see is real. Yeah. And yet we chase these myths. I mean, remember when the Illuminati was popular? <laughs> how many hours did you look on YouTube trying to find out who was a part of it and how real it was? How much time wasted searching myths and, and foolishness? But, but we have neglected love and forgiveness and the basics of, of Christ. Like we've neglected even just reading the Bible because like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I've read it. I've read parts of it before. I want to move on to bigger and better things. <laughs> y- y'all understand the, the circular reasoning that we use and it's it's this kind of it's these simple things that that end up leading us away because we think we're already there. We're like, "Oh, I've already achieved perfection. Let me move on. I've already achieved greatness in Christ, and I've I've forgiven those people before, and so I I can move on." Dude, you know, like even just this last week, I've been going through some like childhood traumas that I thought like I was like down and done with. And the thing about childhood traumas is that they rise back up. And you could forgive people once, you could find healing once, but all of a sudden you get triggered and it's like it's like you have to go through it all again. And you know how many times you have to forgive the same person for the same thing? It, Jesus says seven times 70 times seven. Like <laughs> it's it's like it's not a one-and-done thing sometimes. And Jesus is saying to this church, go back to what you heard at the beginning. Go back to the things when you first gave your life to Christ. When things were not so complicated, where it was just simple, you were just trying to find God in your life. You notice that in those moments where it's that, like, that's our simple desire. There's nothing else. It's like, I just need God. I don't even know what. Those are the moments that we are closest to him. It's because Jesus said he is the way and the life. He's the only religious uh, teacher or leader that said, follow me instead of follow my teachings. If we, were to, if we were to try to take the teachings of Christ away from Christ, we would lose the power of Christ. It would, they would be worthless. They would just be good ideas. There would be no real change. And I really believe that God is calling us during this time of facing the mirror and seeing what we're really like. Look in the mirror and see, am I really the perspective, uh, the, the image that I portray to others? Y'all feel what I'm saying? Y'all are like, this is not why I came to church today. <laughs> the, this part where he says, not completed. He says, the work is not completed. What? When I first read it, and it says, For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. At first, I was like, well, I suck. But when I, when I look back through it, I realize that He is calling me to completion. He's calling me to finish what was started in my life. What He's saying is, I have you still. I have you still, and I will finish the work that I started in you. But you got to face the mirror. You, you've imagined yourself to be done with the work that I started in you, and you're not completed yet. And it's in those moments where we feel like we're good, we're done, that we end up falling so far away from God. The farthest that I am away from God are the moments where I feel like I don't need God. The moments that I feel like I don't need to go to church. The moments I feel like I don't need to read the Bible. The moments I feel like I don't need to pray. The moments I feel like I don't need to worship. Those are the moments that I've learned are, that I'm actually farthest away from God. The moments where I think, oh, I'm all good. Mm-hmm. Y'all feel me? Mm-hmm. And Jesus is saying, face the mirror. You're not done yet. Our last point that we're going over is the battles that I face, the battles I face, battles you face, and I really, I really pray that as we leave today, my heart. It, I don't know how long most of y'all have been going to church. Some of y'all have probably been going longer than I have. Um, I'm on my eleventh year as a Christian. Okay, yeah. woo hoo! I had my eleventh year birthday January twenty seventh. Um, I gave my life to Christ in 2010 January 27th. And from that point forward, I've I've been following Christ and I've ex- I've had experiences just like many of you've had. And the this part where I said we chase empty enthusiasm instead of true spirituality, instead of holiness, it's easier to chase hype. It's easier to chase energy than it is to pursue spiritual uh spiritual affirmation, to pursue spiritual holiness. And I really believe that holiness is is a word that doesn't necessarily make sense to our earthly minds. Like when I'm at when like how would you describe holiness? <laughs> Purity, I don't know. I just I just think like untainted and and when I think of like holiness, I, I it's hard for me to really project. If I want to be holy, what does that look like? When I when we talk about holiness, what I would rather you imagine instead of this just un, undefinable word that we don't even know what it really means. Why don't we imagine it to be spiritual pursuit? Spiritual pursuit doesn't that sound like a good. Replacement, not, not replacement. We're not changing words of the Bible, okay? But doesn't that sound like a good description of what the pursuit of holiness is? Is just, it's just an authentic spiritual pursuit of God in your life. That's what holiness is, and we've replaced that with self-help enthusiasm that doesn't change us. Have you ever gone through that that spell of trying to get encouraged all the time? and you still feel like crap. I I would watch some of those videos, like those motivational videos. <laughs> and and people were like, oh, you gotta watch it. And I would watch it like, I don't feel different. <laughs> Especially when I was in sales, like you gotta get pumped, get motivated. And I would watch it and be like, I'm still terrified of rejection. <laughs> like, <laughs> <what> the hell? <laughs> that didn't do anything for me. And see, this pursuit of motivation and energy, it, it sometimes gives this temporary feeling that that's, seems tangible, but it still is like leaving you empty. The only thing that really works is just being authentic and genuinely seeking God in your life. I, I wanted to expound on that because I think it's directly connected to the battles that each of us face. Everyone faces a personal battle They fear they won't overcome. Everyone faces a personal battle. They fear they won't overcome. Even as I'm talking about this pursuit of God in your life, a lot of you already started doubting if you'd ever really be able to do that. A lot of you already have been filled in your minds with doubts of this being this huge battle that you won't be able to overcome. Let's read this last part. It says, But you... Have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who overcomes will be clothed in the same way, in white garments. And I will not erase his name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let's unpack this, what it's saying. When it says soiling their garments, it's like, Jesus, I, what I feel like it's pretty vivid imagery that Jesus gives, and what I see it as is, it doesn't. Uh, the way I initially take it is, and He really doesn't like me, because I'm not. I I feel like I have soiled garments. I feel like I'm in that pot. But what He's really showing the the viv, the vivid imagery for is how much sin is not pleasing to Him. That that's the Bible says that sin is like a stench to him. And so when he calls us to holiness, he's calling us, us ourselves without sin. He knows that we're in a sinful world, but the whole process of Christianity is, is being like taken out of this world, being purified and taken out of this world. So when it says soiling our clothes, that can only happen from two different ways, our own filth or the filth from this world. And when he's calling us to, to, to purify these garments, to wash these garments, one, we know that the only way our sins are forgiven is not by our works, is by the blood of Jesus. Our salvation isn't by our works of how good of a boy or girl we can be. But the pursuit of holiness happens with our decisions. We're, we're pursuing spiritual uh, A spiritual, authentic relationship with God. That's what holiness is. And that happens by our daily decisions. That happens by our big decisions and our little decisions. And the way that he describes this worthiness, I don't believe that Jesus is saying that we're worthy as in, uh, he's not talking about the worthiness of our identity. He's talking about the worthiness of our lifestyle decisions. And and it's it's just really aspiring to make God every part of your life, every part of your life to where it's not just a Sunday thing but it's like a lifestyle pursuit let Let me be an example to you guys because I'm not perfect. you're like we know just a second ago you said, "Hell yeah, okay, I'm not perfect and I, the same way that I talk to you guys, the same way I talk at home, it, the only difference is that in public, my wife says, Babe, please stop. <laughs> at home, she doesn't tell me as much. <laughs> but what I'm trying to portray to you is that to live, uh, to live this life worthy of our calling, to live this life of spiritual, authentic relationship pursuit of God, doesn't change who you are. Or your personality, or you don't have to be like everybody else. it's the biggest like false narrative that that people believe about church is that we we can't be ourselves anymore. that's not it it's about it's really just simply pursuing God, and it's not about being perfect, it's just about being genuine. and the closer that you get to God, the more you will actually learn about yourself. You'll learn that you were carrying so much, so many soiled garments over your shoulders that you're able to throw off. You know the Bible says to throw off sin like an old coat, and to put on a new coat of Christ. And when, before I gave my life to Christ, I thought I was a person that genuinely uh, liked hurting people. I thought I was a person that liked stealing. I thought I was a person that enjoyed uh, just being a bad person. I was a sinner. I was really good at it. And the more I grew closer to Christ, the more that my heart just began to change and I started just realizing, I don't want this garment on me. Not because the Bible says, don't do this, don't do that. But just like the closer I would get to God, the more I realized I don't like hurting people. I actually like building people up. I like encouraging people. I like showing people love when they've not experienced love. I don't like stealing anymore. I, I realize I actually much better like being generous. See, the these things that have changed me to where who I am today were not told by any human being, but simply just the process of me growing closer to Christ. I threw off more and more of those soiled garments and put on the, the clothes that Christ has given me. And I've become more and more the person He originally made me to be. And I want to point out this idea where it says uh, if if they do it this way in white garments I will not erase his name from the book of life and I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. I I feel like I have to to speak on this because of doctrine and theology. This is a point in scripture where it, it gives this imagery of our names being written in the book of life and the possibility of it being erased. And the reason I wanted to talk on this is because there's, there's different belief systems out there. And one belief system is that once you're saved, you're always saved that once you give your life to Christ, um, that you're just saved forever. And it's like your check Mark and like, you can show the angels at the heavenly gate, like, uh, I got my credentials. Okay. (laughs) You can see here signed by the pastor himself. Um, (laughs) He's not here, but you know. what is saying that names can be erased. And I want to be clear in what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that as a church, we do not believe that once saved, always saved. What we do believe is that our salvation is dependent on our relationship with God. And that that relationship with God is not thwarted or thrown out when we make one bad decision. I think that the covenant God made with you, with everybody that has given their life to Christ, is much stronger and much more durable than the mistakes that we make in our life. And so... While I don't believe that salvation is once saved, always saved, I don't believe it's it's so easily taken away like some people believe. Mm -hmm. But it is simply dependent on our relationship with God and our pursuit of Him. That's why the Bible says that just like the thief on the cross that died next to Jesus, it says Jesus told him, Today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't do anything exceptional. All he did was believe in Jesus. And without any change in his actual life, Jesus received him. And and so I, I look at that as a hope to me. as like, well, Jesus, please. <laughs> I want to be with you on paradise. I still want this relationship even though I fall short, even though I'm weak in areas. And I know that I can trust in his name because he has me, because I belong to him. But it's the moments where we leave that relationship where we no longer belong to him because of our running away from him because of our our total uh turning of our backs to him are the moments that we lose something so sacred. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And this la- that and we'll end on this. He says the one who overcomes will be clothed in the same way. This this idea of overcoming have you all noticed that in, in nearly every letter to the church that we've gone through, it ends with Jesus saying, and to the one who overcomes." And to the one who overcomes, I'll give this. And to the one who overcomes oh, it will be with me, to the one who overcomes." And this is where I want us to really settle and end this message, because overcoming something means that you're facing a battle in your life. And he is calling us and his people to overcome whatever they are battling. Each church, he says, to overcome, and they each have a different battle that they're facing. Some of those battles are simply from persecution, but a lot of those battles were the, these ideas of losing sight of what was most important in their lives, which was Jesus. Jesus. But I believe that there's so many specific battles that we face, and He calls us to overcome them. And instead of us receiving this idea of of God wanting us to pursue holiness and thinking that we're not worthy or that we're not good enough, I want you to, to, to get rid of that idea and realize that Jesus is saying, you are able to overcome. And not only that, He's with you and He has you as you're pursuing that that overcoming, as you're facing that battle. And I want you to ask yourself, what does my battle look like? Just take a moment to yourself and ask, what does my battle look like right now? For some of you, it might be a long-term battle that you've been facing for years. For others, it might be a, literally a battle that you're facing right now. It seems like it came out of nowhere. For some of you, you feel like you're still standing in this fight. For others, it feels like you're already, you've are already you already given up. Where are you in that battle? What are you battling in? And whatever it is, I want to... You to know. Just in this scripture, and there's many other scriptures where God calls you an overcomer. He says that you will overcome this. If you don't lose heart, don't grow tired of doing good, you will overcome. Even if you fall, you can get back up. You are an overcomer. Don't believe the lie that. You are not enough. Don't believe the lie that you're not worthy. Jesus already made the biggest declaration that you are worthy of his love on the cross. You need to understand and believe without a doubt that you are his. We need to face the mirror. And we need to know that God understands the battles that we face. And he calls us overcomers. That being said, I want us to all close our eyes and bow our heads. And just right there where you're at, I want you to have a moment where you pray to God. Just to yourself. And ask God, where am I in all of this? Ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need to know right now? Ask Jesus, what do I need to do right now? And ask God, what do I need to believe right now? With every eye closed and head still bowed, if you're here and you feel like you're at this point where you need to make like a life decision of, pursuing Jesus in your life for the first time. Or maybe you did at some point and right now you just realize that you've wandered away from him and you want to just go back to that relationship with him and pursue God. Go back to the basics. With every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. <laughs> I see your hands. And so just right where you're at, I want you to just pray to God and tell Him, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Help me not to give up. Help me to get back up when I fall and to make this a life decision today. The Bible says, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the son of God who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, that surely you shall be saved. The Bible says that it's his kindness that draws us to repentance. And repentance just means to change direction. And I want you, if, if that's you today, I want you to just have that conversation with Jesus and acknowledge the sacrifice he made on the cross and and just have a, a moment of surrender to him. Say, from this point forward, I'm yours. Now, I want to have one more prayer. If you're here and you feel like there's a point in this message that you just needed to hear and that you feel like there's, a, whether it's a new outlook today, you're leaving with maybe it's the outlook that I am His and I can stop doubting whether or not God wants me. Maybe it's a decision point for you today to where you re- you're facing the mirror and you realize I need to go back to the basics. I've gone through the motions and I need to be authentic in my spirituality again. Or maybe it's an affirmation point of acknowledging the battle that you're facing and just being affirmed that God calls you an overcomer and you will get through this. If any one of those are you, with every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. Amen. And so now I just want you to talk to God. Have a moment where you just talk to God, to yourself, and say whatever you need to say and I'm going to pray for you. God, you see every individual you see every person and what they need, what they're, what they're hearing, what they're going through. And I pray that you finish the work that you started in them. I know, Lord, that you have great, amazing love for these people. <coughs> I know, God, that you are affirming that love and that grace for them. And I pray that you cause them to know without a doubt, be affirmed in their faith, and be edified that what you are saying to them is right, that it is true, and that they wouldn't doubt the voice of the Holy Spirit, but that they would know it and be sensitive to it. I pray that you bless them, God, and that you continue to reveal yourself to them in a more clear and powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, GraveTop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the GraveTop Church Podcast.